nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show on Teachers Talk Radio with me, Nathan Ginn. Tonight we're joined by Dan Smith. We're talking small changes, bigger impact. What have you changed about your teaching over the years? How have you refined and what edgy fads have you given up completely? Lots to talk about, lots of listener comments. Tune in, talk it out, off we go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Welcome to the Twilight Show. Me, Nathan Ginn, here from very wet South Wales. I should say, you know, I have been struck this week hard by I. Do you know what I? I suck. It's my own fault because I, you know, I, I thought spring was here, and I got all like excited, all hyped. You know, the the days were getting lighter. The the mornings as I was getting up to go to work, I was driving in, in, in light, in daylight, you know, and I was leaving work some days and it, it was still light. But we have hit that patch. It is like, you know, a living in a cloud for the past seven days, maybe. We've seen nothing but rain. It is miserable. It is hard work. And, you know, tonight we're talking about those things that change over your teaching career, um, those different things that you have refined and you have improved. But one of those things for me, the hardest part for me has been um, get always, always getting used to the the, the seasons and how different terms are, are, have different kind of a vibe to them. That that bit before Christmas where it's dark all the time, that that bit now where, you know, it's going to be wet, you need a big coat if you're doing duty. Um, all of those parts, you know, really hard for me, but it is allegedly twilight. We are here on the twilight show. I can't see it through the clouds and the rain. And as I say, we're joined tonight by, I guess, um, Dan Smith. Now, I should have Dan with me on the line. Are you there? Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, perfect. Just a little bit closer to the mic, if you could. Okay, yeah, is that better? Yeah, that's brilliant. Now, uh, Dan, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, you just, uh, you know, the start of the show, I've taken the liberty of waxing lyrical for a little bit about my complaints about the weather. Now, t- tell me, what's the weather like where you are? Where are you in the country? Uh, I'm I'm based in Surrey. Sunny? Is it sunny Surrey today? Um, no, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of murky, I suppose, is, is what yeah. you call it. Yeah, I think it's that. That that's a good word for this term for me. It's a murky term, you know. It's it is getting lighter. I, I do say that, you know, and that that is the one big thing for me. You know, I always find those winter months hard. I find this, you know, a little bit uh, easier as the days get lighter. You know, I still haven't that hasn't changed about my teaching. Oh, I've always found the winter term hardest, the summer terms easier. Maybe you know that sunlight helps me teach somehow. Who knows? 
Now, um, why don't you kind of set the scene for our listeners a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about what you currently do. Okay, so um, I'm Dan Smith. Uh, I'm an English teacher. Um, I've been an English teacher for 12 years. Um, I'm currently at a school called Rygate School, which is um, an outstanding uh, secondary school in Rygate in Surrey. Um, and I just love what I do. Um, there's a really fantastic de department there. And um, I just, just really love it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, that is that is perfect for us. Now, one of the things we're going to be talking about kind of as we go through the show is some of these things that have changed for everyone in their career, you know, like a, um, we develop and we change. We're going to talk a little bit towards the end about some uh, what I've termed edgy fads. They might not be the right word, but certainly in 12 years, I'd say, I think I've been at it just a fraction longer that there, there have been changes in, in what people do and how we approach education. And certainly there's been changes in my practice as well. Um, now, one of the things that I wanted to start off with, this is okay, is that you wrote a blog back in 2019. So we're talking a few years ago now. Yeah. And if we reflect on that, it was it was a blog about kind of how your teaching had changed over your career to that point. And so if we, if we talk through a few of these, I'd be really interested, particularly if anything has changed in the years since writing this blog. But what was it at the time that caused you to kind of think, to, to reflect on this this kind of changes um to be honest with you i actually felt like i was doing all right <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest i felt like it'd been a few years and i'd made some real effort to improve and you know i thought you know what i'm actually doing okay i'm going to sit down and think how is it that i'm doing okay what is it about what i'm doing means that i feel a bit more confident i really feel like the students are making a bit more progress um, and let's think it through and actually um, sort of catalogue what that is. Okay, so, you know, I, as I say, I'm going to be really interested in this because some of these really sort of rang a bell with me, resonated. It did make me think about, you know, whether that was a time and a place or whether that is what it's like to be an early careers teacher compared to a, you know, a more experienced teacher, all of those things. But if we work through, you know, the, 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 these points that you pulled out. Now, one of the first things in that blog that you, sp you spoke about was about learning, not doing. Can you expand on that a little bit for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, unfortunately, when I came into teacher training, um, there were some things that were perhaps not the best. And one of them was if you you were told that if you just get the kids or the students doing lots of stuff, um, then they wouldn't misbehave. Um, mm. So basically, when you planned a lesson, you'd have to plan an awful lot of stuff for them to do. And I, um, I began to get frustrated and realised that really wasn't the way to go. Mm. So, and, so essentially, uh, sorry. No, no, no. I, I, it's really interesting for me. I just want to ask you there, you, you know, because you talk about learning now. I remember specifically, I, you know, probably training around the same time, talking about planning activities. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially, um, instead of planning things to do, um, sorry, I should have finished my thought. Very nervous. No, I apologise. That's okay. Um, I should have planned instead of planning things to do. I should have started with what do I really want them to learn, and mm. go backwards. Um, go backwards from there. What did I really want them to learn? What do I really want them to achieve? And once I'd done that, um, things became a lot simpler and a lot more effective. I have to say, um, and I think that I just maximised learning so much more. I just thought, okay, what is what is the goal for this lesson? And it, 
it's not to make them do things it's to get them to think it's to get them to practice it's to get them to have feedback it's to get them to be challenged and it really changed what I was doing and I, I really really um I enjoyed teaching more as well I didn't just try and think of wildly inventive things to do in a lesson I just thought okay what do I really want them to learn and how can they achieve that and it, it really opened up everything for me I think it was the most important it was the most important change I made I would say and now I did say I'd ask because you know we're talking about your reflections from maybe like four years ago now is that something you still you, you still oh, feel absolutely. strongly about you it's probably, it's probably this, this, this my central one of my central principles of my teaching um I don't think I'll be very shocked if I ever abandoned it um just just ha take a moment be calm reflect before you plan any lesson before you look at anything on a system or anything else what do you want your students to learn and and often that might be something quite straightforward sometimes more subtle and more complex but you have to you have to start there and it's better for you and it's better for the students as well now I, you know, I want to ask you about the next one as well, and we are, you know, we're just going to whiz through these because we have quite a lot of uh, listener comments to work our ways through about things that they've changed. And I really want to kind of get your opinions on some of those things that listeners have thrown out. If you are listening live in the studio as well, you can you can send them in now. If you're listening in the Podbean app, you can uh, text them into us. If you're following us on Twitter at TT Radio Official, you can tweet them to us there, and we'll pick them up as we go, add them to the the growing list. Um, but I want to ask you about you know the next point that you pulled out was about slowing down yeah what were you what was your thinking there so again I think that um the idea that again the, the lesson had to be really pacey that that was the key mm. thing to get students to learn when actually I was sort of running against myself and I just wanted to take the time to really explain something properly and you know the kind of old-fashioned and planning sheets um, didn't always allow you to do that and they said oh too much teacher talk and you know get to the next thing get to the next thing and actually I just thought no we, we're whizzing through something and things have been completed but there's no depth and there's no um, sort of consolidation of something and it, it's it's not what I wanted to do <laughs> it's really not what I wanted to do so just slow down and reflect and and consolidate the learning properly yeah and I think you know when when you raise those two points and I think about what how I was teaching back you know uh, uh, sort of you know sort of in in the the noughties what I forget what we we call that term sort of you know uh 2009 maybe around that time I, I was yeah. getting comments about pace in my lesson observations and things that people were coming in and saying you know it's like need to improve pace and all of those things and I was cram in activities and things and I think about my lessons now and I don't think I could feel a pro forma you know if I had a lesson like those old lesson template pro formas I don't think I could fill it in the same way because yeah much more planning I'm, I'm you know I think as we go through you know particularly the end I want to unpick as well as is that education changing is that experience further one do you think education has changed or do you think that's your experience and younger teachers would still be cramming stuff in I think it's a bit of both. I think that fortunately, um, education is slowly improving for the better. I think that t Twitter has had a hand in that. Um, I think that research informed practice is, is becoming more prevalent. Um, and also it is experience as well. I think actually the slow improvements in education 
has allowed me to be more honest about my experience and more honest about what I know and what I've seen to work. So it's more freeing. Um, and I'm just uh, grateful that things do seem at least to be going in the right direction. Mm, mm. Now, the next bit, and this kind of ties into some of your comments there about how teaching is developing, is about CPD. And you raised kind of a point about reading in particular, but CPD and, and developing as a teacher and how that had changed from you from the beginning of your career to the, to the point we were talking about. Yeah, so that's been a massive change as well. Um, unfortunately, like I say, at the beginning of my school career, I think, you know, schools knew they had to do CPD and... They would try their best a lot of the time, but you had such a diverse uh, group in front of you of teachers, and it's very, very difficult to cater um, for all of them. And it would often be a kind of slightly clunky one size fits all. And I think that the exception to that, for example, is um, I think I had Teaching Backwards. Um, it's a great yeah. one. But yeah. um, Twitter was a great source for me of, 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 of CPD is actually probably my main source of CPD for a long time. Uh, more experienced teachers sharing their wisdom, um, recommending books, recommending um, courses, recommending um, conferences, you know, Team English organizing conferences themselves. And actually, it really revolutionized my CPD because I basically went on a journey myself and, and discovered all these, these great things. And it, it really helped me, definitely. Yeah, so my, you know, my memories and this, you know, might have changed. I, you know, I obviously we've got a whole new ECT thing going on that we are, we're yet to really see, you know, what complaints that raise, which issues it, it causes and whether it really is better. But certainly I remember back there being a time where it was one size fits all. I certainly, you know, have noticed more recently a more personalised CPD. Does that make sense if I say that? Like a, yeah. CPD is now more Sorry, I've lost you a little bit. No, that's okay. If if I was to say to you yeah, that now think, CP, yeah. CPD is more personal, is that something that you'd re you'd recognise as kind of a current teaching thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I feel like over the past few years, because um, again, the research has improved things. I've had more bespoke uh, CPD as an English department. We've had more bespoke CPD, and um, I feel more confident about it as a result. Um, but it's still catching up, I think. I think there's still a gap between what, how good CPD can be um, when you really pursue it personally and what is being offered, um, you know, in schools generally. Yeah. Now, another one, and, this, you know, as we work through your list, kind of, of the things that really changed for your teaching back then, um, from sort of being an early career teacher to a, a kind of experienced teacher. And this one is something that, our, you know, a lot of our listeners have pulled up on as well when we get on to discussing some of the things that changed for them, is use of a visualizer. Yes. Yeah, again, so I can't claim original credit for this. It was my colleague at work, uh, Mrs. Everett, who... Uh, got a visualizer first for English but it, again it revolutionized my teaching I use it every lesson I would say nearly um, for annotating pieces of text for showing excellent pieces of student work or even bits of work that need a bit of help and you know we have respectful comments from the class about how to improve it I might show work in different stages of a lesson so a first draft and, a, and some corrections um, and it's just really really changed things when it, when a student can see exactly how you're supposed to annotate or exactly what a piece of work should look like 
I can't imagine my teaching career without it now. I, I really couldn't. It, it really is a huge part of what I do. Now, I'm going to go so far as, you know, and this is a bold comment from me, but it is my, you know, my personal experience of what I've seen since the the rise of the visualizers. And I I am a massive fan, you know, particularly the, the bit that changed it for me was using an iPad as a visualizer. And this was in primary, but, you know, I'm sure it would apply to a lot of secondary classrooms if they were able to do it because I was able to walk around the room with the yeah. visualizer. You know, if someone was to create, I'm sure if you're listening now and you have a wireless visualizer, send me the link because my, my current one is tied to my desk and I would love a wireless one again. I can't afford a, an iPad. But I would say that the, the visualizer, for what you're saying, has killed the interactive whiteboard. Do you use an interact, truly interactive to write on the board anymore? No, I don't. Um, I, I always struggle with those, to be honest, because my handwriting mm. isn't brilliant. And I know as a teacher, that's something I need to work on. However, I never really used it. But when I had a visualizer, because instead of gripping a big um, interactive whiteboard pen, I was gripping my own pen. Um, mm. I just felt so much more comfortable. And I just, again, the students, it is exactly what they're supposed to do. They have a pen and paper in front of them. I have a pen and paper in front of me. So it just replicates that experience. Yeah. And as I say, a lot of our listeners came in with this was the thing that, you know, had really revolutionized or, well, refined their teaching to get the most out of it as a comment. You know, and I, 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 it is it is something Yeah, I, you know, I recognize now this next one, I'm less sure. And so you're going to have to explain in more detail for me. But you say that something that kind of improved, changed, refined your teaching was five a day and quizzing. What are we talking yes. about there? Yeah, so um, I think it, I think she's called Rebecca Lee now on Twitter, but it was originally Rebecca Foster. She shared um, five a day starter, where basically you have just five questions, um, either on one topic or a mixture of topics. And it's so simple, an idea, once you say it, but if you've never thought of it before, and it all, it, it comes back to, again, the idea of cognitive load and research and retrieval, when that was all coming out. And I just put five questions on the board or five questions on a sheet as they came in and kept doing that and kept doing that. And the improvements in memory, the improvements in um, knowledge recall, and also it meant a sort of more um, orderly, more composed start to the lesson. And it's just that one change. It just again, it just refines so many other things, behavior, knowledge, retrieval. Um, yeah, and it was, it was it was fantastic. So it could be five questions on on Christmas Carol it could be five questions on different parts of grammar and it, it just it just works you know it just works and you know and something you're still doing now as well less so um I, I think I'm not quite sure why actually I think maybe I'm going for a phase of starting the lesson with interesting questions but mm. I think that's perhaps fitting my cohorts my classes more at the moment it is something i did quite a lot over lockdown actually i'd put it on mm. the sort of live lesson um and people could sort of respond to it um and in the chat box <laughs> they could respond to the five yeah. questions yeah so definitely something i do um but perhaps not as militantly or rigorously um as i did in the past and, and it's a really interesting thing there as we kind of nuance through this because i find it interesting about how much you know teaching changes and you know it sounds like for you and certainly for me my teaching has changed a lot in the um first five years say 
of my teaching. I, you know, my teaching yeah. completely changed. And I developed so much and grew. Less so I have changed maybe in the last five years. Maybe that's lockdown. I don't know. I, well, I suppose for a period I was teaching remotely, which is complete change. But I yeah. don't know if there's been more change in the, the, the last 10 years than there was in the last five years. Does that make sense? Yeah, certainly. Like I say, I think the sort of middle section of my career, um, when uh, they all when the, the, the specification changed um, hmm. and we all kind of gathered on Twitter and tried to find our way through, um, that's when a lot of new ideas started coming out. Whereas in the last few years, I do feel more comfortable. However, um, like you're saying to me earlier, w- would you say things have changed since the blog? Um, certainly, some things have been. I think that um there's been some good whole school policies um that have come through recently in my school and i'm sort of happy to be um a part of those so i certainly say within the last maybe year or so that has started to kind of move me forward again so that's been a good thing yeah i do you know maybe we are coming out you know of a growth period in education where we're kind of over the lockdown and we're starting to look again we've we've got our energy back for for yeah. for it to look at the new challenges of it. Now I want to whiz through kind of the last couple of points because I do want to get you know I'd love to get your opinions on some of the stuff that our listeners have sent in. And remember, if you are live in the studio, you can send us in now. The question is, what has changed or what have you changed? Hopefully for the better about your teaching from when you started to where you are now. What have you refined? You know, all, what have you given up completely? Now, uh, uh, second from last on the list. Now we've got resources that you yeah. talk about really interested here because I've seen a massive change in how lessons have resourced over my time in education for the better I would say but I'd love to hear your thoughts yeah so to be honest with you I I think that I learned from better teachers on Twitter about from the design of their resources um they was they were very clean they were very effective they were very well designed and they were so people were so generous you know there's been so many people on Twitter that have shared these extraordinary things that have made me redesign um, slides, redesign worksheets, and even think about, do I need something? Do I need to have, you know, 20 slides for a lesson? No, I don't. You know, do I need um, different fonts and pictures, you know, dotted all over my resources? No, I don't. What I need to do is think about how effective this resource is going to be. And I've learned from from better people. Um, and I really appreciate it. My resource is a lot cleaner, effective, and I definitely think um, pupils learn better from them now. Absolutely. Um, and, I, you know, I would, I would reflect that. I think, you know, I'd love to hear from the listeners. Have your, your PowerPoints, for want of a better word, the visual stuff that you put on the board, has that changed over your teaching career? Because I remember, and this is my PGCE, on my PGC, I was trained to, we, we had to do some uh, work around it, producing an interactive whiteboard display, like a, a pet lesson for, you know, resource to teach from. And it had to include animations. It had to include, you know, all the different kinds of transitions that you had. I mean, some of them like flight simulators. I remember that being a craze at one time where, you know, you'd click on the next slide and it zoom you in and people would be getting motion sickness from it. And, and, and that certainly, I think, is something that has changed now. Would you, would you reflect on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that um, I think that, you know, people even swapping tips about how to make their slide transitions more interesting, certain fun- the, the functionality of certain things, um, how to improve that, how to add different extensions. 
when it didn't really add to the learning you know it was it was nice and it looked pretty and the pupils might be entertained um but are you are you maximizing learning by doing that and and you know i'm perhaps accused sometimes of my slides being very spartan <laughs> but um i would rather start from that position than spend time on slide design rather than time on maximizing the learning you know yeah yeah definitely you know i as i say my really pared back now i used to spend far you know and from a workload point of view as well i've been massively pleased with that change i think that it is better for the learning you know i know there's cognitive load research that suggests that you know this is the way we should be going but also from a workload point of view i am so grateful that we are past you know having overly animated or uh pic pictured and and, and graphically kind of confusing slides and things because honestly you know that, that was taking me a long amount of time now this is the last one of yours and before we move on to, to kind of some of the listener um sort of comments about things that they've changed and i you know i really want to unpick with you and hopefully some of our listeners as well will throw in their thoughts about some of these things that people are saying have changed for the better but the last one you talk about and and, and i'll read your wording for it uh, was being yourself or aiming for well warm strict so this is around behavior then is it yeah so I, I made a bit of a mistake I think when I first started and, and again it's perhaps again being nervous and new as a teacher but I was very stern all of the time you know, I was just mm. very stern I thought that that's how pupils take you seriously that's how they won't mess you around just look very stern be very stern and I actually had a bit of an epiphany um, in the middle of a lesson um, where the, the students all looked very sullen and there was just a sort of fairly sort of, you know, lacklustre atmosphere. And I just thought, you know what, this isn't working for me. And I just started to be myself. I started to be warmer, more effusive, a bit of humour, um, show some personality, but have expectations have red lines you know you, you can't be rude you can't be disruptive um you can't you know talk over other people etc and it, again it just it made everything so much better for everybody it made things better for all my students and it made things much better for me as well yeah you know i think there was for a while and ho hopefully this is broken you know this idea of don't smile till christmas we thought you know that that was often said a lot i remember kind of in my training and and, and parts like that but I, i'm interested because this i think is a change that everyone would have to go through i don't think this is a 2010s thing a, you know a 2020s thing but you know how long did it do you think it takes you or should take a teacher or should it take them any time at all to find them themselves as the teacher, if that makes sense, you know, to, 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 to be their true self in front of the class, if that makes sense. It's such a difficult question because it's so mm. different for different teachers. You know, I've, I've some amazing colleagues who I can just tell they reached that point, you know, within a couple of years, it took me, you know, probably three or four, three or four years, I would say, um, because I was so sort of nervous and so um, stuck to this whole thing of don't smile to Christmas, be very stern, you know, don't say anything outside of um, this very strict professional demeanour. And you still are, but the thing is, you still are being professional. You're being professional, but you're just being a warm human being. Um, so it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I think that 
if you're still feeling very rigid and robotic after say maybe your third year of teaching perhaps get someone to come in to help coach you maybe or, or like a much more experienced teacher because you don't want to stay like that you don't you won't you won't you won't either won't last or you'll just be you won't enjoy teaching because you have to find something of yourself and I know some very very sort of um reserved teachers but that's part of who they are anyway and, and so long as it's a part of you then that's the main thing I think yeah you know I think I do remember you know in those early years of my career you know trying to be other people trying to deliver their lessons as they delivered their lessons and it never quite coming off until I kind of found my own groove and my own rhythm with it and 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 the bit for me and I'll say this to any new teachers listening any any early career teachers you know this is probably much personal information for you I'm afraid listeners but when I stopped sweating so much during my lessons I knew that I was relaxing into it and I was in control and I was I was the driving force behind the learning there so that that's my top tip you know if you're going through too much deodorant bring it down relax find <laughs> find, find the you you know yeah. Um, yeah. that that's my personal experience listeners I, I, I apologize now um before we hear from some of the comments because I do want to get to some you know we had a lot a lot a lot of uh, replies to some of our tweets about what had changed I want to just give a out to John Cat Educational, who do help us out here at Teachers Talk Radio. And so we're just going to hear a quick message from them. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines specifically aimed at forward thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Borodar Palb, Kroisoi Abatawi. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm Dan Smith, who is sharing his thoughts and my thoughts. We're going to get on to your listeners' thoughts about things that you have changed about your teaching over time. What have you refined? How, what small changes have you made to have a bigger impact? And later on in the show, we're going to be slapping down some edu fads hopefully that everyone has completely given up now uh welcome back dan uh, hello hello good to be here thank you yeah hi yeah and uh so um we're gonna go through uh, a list of um sort of tweets and, and, and points the question that i put out there was what's the smallest thing that you've changed about your teaching that has had the biggest impact Okay, so the smallest thing you've changed that's had the biggest impact. And so we're going to go through some of the replies. Okay, um, okay. now I, here, here's the first one I'd like to kind of get, get your thoughts on. Uh, and this is from um, Kate Aspin, who on Twitter is that but backwards. Um, so if you're looking for it, it's it, like Etak Nipza um, as her <laughs> username. Um, okay. But um, her point is... Uh, she says, uh, stopping and starting again if it's not going in 
if the diet doesn't work change the diet as you can't change the children how do you feel about that you know and how would you have felt about that as kind of like a new teacher how do you feel about that now do you just stop completely change if something isn't working I certainly make big changes and again it is something that is in my teaching career that that opinion has changed radically um when I first started teaching you spent hours on a lesson plan and that was it you know that was your rock and you stuck mm. to it um whereas now I will I'll be very honest with my students as well I will say this isn't working is it <laughs> and um <laughs> right stop and I say okay stop this now I'm going to explain this again we're going to do this activity instead I'm just going to reread this bit um and again, I suppose that comes with experience. Um, it's really freeing again to be able to do that. And that would terrify that would have terrified me as a new teacher. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I wonder if, you know, in teacher training now, and I guess, you know, we're talking as experienced teachers now, maybe on teacher training now, certainly when I meet uh, NQTs as they are here in Wales, but ECTs, trainee teachers, whatever, I do say to them, you know, if it's not working, stop. And that's advice I give them. You know, would you advise a younger teacher, a, a less experienced teacher to do that as well now? Perhaps stop, perhaps stop. Um, mm. Maybe not go down a radical tangent um mm. but perhaps perhaps verse maybe um yeah say, okay let's 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 do that um intro explanation again in a different way um let's hear more examples um of feedback from the starter um can we uh, look at the diagram again and you know talk about it a bit more so maybe a reverse maybe a straight reverse um would be a good idea i think go, i think being brand new going on a wild um tangent perhaps um wouldn't be the best thing no i like that i like i like that metaphor as well back up a bit and pull in again just like with my reverse parking back up a bit you know it's going wrong back up a bit start from you know adjust the angle slightly and go back in again uh, really sound advice there now i'm afraid because these are on twitter we, we are going to be chopping and changing between pedagogy and all kinds of things because no the next one is from uh, sarah glover um and she says um not reminding students of past negative behaviors so you know your secondary yeah uh, teacher yes, so in, uh, i guess yeah, yeah. i guess in 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 your case this is you know a child yesterday maybe the day before in your lesson was uh, maybe not getting on as well as they should have that's been dealt with yeah. they've come back to your yeah. lesson today is that advice you would give don't remind them of the negative behaviors past negative behaviors absolutely because you know you're just you're asking to go back to that problem you're asking to to uh, you want that you're almost wanting that student to get back into that frame of mind when actually mm. what you want to do is recognize in that instant if they're behaving well to really try and recognize that or you know if they're not having a particularly good or particularly bad lesson to just kind of leave them to it you know just just let them get on with it and you might give them a quiet nod at the end to acknowledge that there's been no issues, but don't enter into an, a past problem, you know, and because and they don't want to. Um, the vast majority of the time, they really don't want to do that. They, they want a fresh start and they want to know that you will give them a fresh start. And if they know that, if they know you'll, get, you'll give them a fresh start, then you're much more likely to see um, better behavior in the future. Absolutely. 
Yeah, you know, I think that's really sound advice. And I think I'm guilty of that before, of kind of lingering on or, or, or almost wanting additional resolution to it that, that wasn't needed. You know, I didn't need them to, you know, to apologise to me before they could enter the classroom or anything like that. I think, you know, I really like that kind of idea you suggested there of them coming in and just allowing, you know, the le- le- next lesson to happen. Maybe it's not going to be their best lesson. Maybe you're not going to be interacting as you normally would. But by the end of that lesson, you know, you're quiet nod that, you know, that was a, and then the back, you're back up to speed by the next time again as well, I think. Yeah, I mean, hopefully if, if um, you know, if behavior has been bad enough that you needed to set a sanction, you know, maybe you've had a conversation that sanction just said, look, that, you know, that wasn't good enough. You had a, a positive conversation. Um, if it's been a little bit silly, you know, you've perhaps just had a, a quiet word in the lesson. Just hopefully either way, it's just resolved at that point, you know, and it, it doesn't need to go any further. And I think that kids can really, students can really surprise you. I think that you can have quite a tough time with a student one week um, and then the next week something clicks and you have to take advantage of that. You have to take advantage of when they start to turn things around and say, okay, you're doing great now. And, and, and that's what we should celebrate. That's what we should point out. Mm, definitely. Right. And as I say, you know, if you're listening in live now, there's still time if you text us in through the Podbean app, I'll um, I'll read those ones out straight away. But if not, we're on the Twitter. We're at TT Radio Official, and we're reading those ones out as we go through. Now we're, we're chopping and changing. I'm afraid, as I say, completely between as we go through all of these. And and, and I should have read out. I think you know maybe like a hundred different comments that we've got here coming in um, <laughs> of different right, things okay. that have changed. We're not going to get through them all, so I'm I'm cherry picking no. slightly. Um, but um, here's one that's interesting. This is from Sam Dickinson, um, and. And, and she says uh, about no opt out um, when, right. when when answering when responding. So I'd, I'd you know I'd really like to get your opinion on that. Do you use it? You know what do you think about it? Because I'm sometimes a little bit sketchy about it. I'm not sure like that I, I follow through on it enough. Yeah, I'm I'm with you in terms of I know professionally. I I, I feel my I feel I've been kind of challenged professionally. I know that I need to. Um, encourage more of my more reticent students to get involved um it's been a big push whole school um with cold calling um and it's something that i've really been uh meaningfully trying to put into my lessons more um and it's something that i, I do struggle with a bit I, I i agree with it i think if it's done uh, correctly because there's a real process to it um and i think if that process is followed it can be fantastic but it's something, again, like I said, in the past year or so, um, I'm entering into a period of trying to really push myself uh, forward. And that's definitely one of the things I'm going to do that with is, is cold calling. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it is on my tick list. I, I can offer no advice to anyone uh, of how to do it because it is something yeah. that I'm trying to get much better at myself. But I hear such good things about it and people talking about how, you know, because initially I think my hesitancy is around that it might be feel negative in a way um, but but I hear that it does build kind of this positive learning environment where everyone is sharing everyone is and I don't like the word engaged but everyone is engaged in their learning so it's certainly something that I do you know has come up and I do hear a lot about um, this next one I think you know we can wax lyrical on because we've already talked about it a little, a little bit this is from Donald Hale um, it's modeling my thinking process under the visualizer as I deliver content yeah I mean I, I 
that's probably something I actually love to do. You know, I will say I'm annotating a piece of text, like I, maybe I have an exam question and I'll model every single bit of that process. I say, okay, I am a student now, I'm in an exam hall. I'll read the question, I'll highlight the keywords, talk about what those keywords mean, highlight the bits in the extract that are relevant, talk about, you know, my, my opening statement, why I've chosen it, what I'm planning. I'll talk about when I struggle. I'll talk about, oh, what's the word? You know, what is that word I'm looking for? Um, I'll pause, you know, I'll, I'll mm. scratch, you know, put neat lines through lines I'm not happy with. And that is huge. You know, once students see that, they see that A, what, what a good response looks like, but they also B, see that it's always going to be a process and maybe even a little bit of a struggle. And that that's a good thing, and it is enlightening for them, and it's it's a joy for me because I can see that it's something I can do regularly and simply, like well not simple, but straightforward in a straightforward way that it makes a huge impact. It really does. Yeah, and and I would agree, and it certainly wasn't something that that was around uh, when I trained to teach necessarily. I think when I trained to teach, certainly at least I felt that things had to be more polished and um, exact and maybe there wasn't that time for that kind of showing and it's not a weakness but showing maybe the, the kind of cognitive process and I don't know you know I think we came through some of that Carol, Carol Dweck some of that growth mindset stuff and and this was one of the things that I really kept from that a lot of it kind of fell by the wayside but this is something I really kept about really the, the power of showing them the the thought processes that were happening as I was going and yeah I agree with you you know this one is a you know a game changer if you're not currently modeling what you're thinking or verbalizing what you're doing when you're answering um, then, then you are missing a trick because it helps the young people so much yeah I mean I think it was um, I don't want to mispronounce his name is it David uh, Didow that said um, making the implicit making the implicit explicit and that was yes. a huge thing just and it was Someone else had a phrase, I think it was the curse of the expert. Um, yes, there's yes. So, there's so many things that we think and do before we even get to the point of putting our you know, pen to paper or delivering a lesson. And let's not keep that from the students. You know, let's show all of that messy work. Let's show that all that messy thinking, because otherwise the students feel like they'll never be able to do what we do because it seems so ridiculously effortless because we try to make it look effortless we try to make it look like some kind of magic trick you know when it's not it's just it's it's work it's graft and and if you can show that then it, it's encouraging and it's instructional at, at the same time yeah i think that is a, that is a perfect description for me of you know that kind of it, trying to make it look and certainly at the start of my career i was trying to make it look effortless i was trying to you know show an expert to them and they didn't need to see an expert doing it they, they you know they needed to learn how to be a novice doing it now while we're talking about messy learning and hopefully not too messy one of the comments that came in from kerry madrick was about mini whiteboards and and having them are, are you a fan of mini whiteboards i know they sometimes divide yeah, well, it's, again, it's something that I'm trying to challenge myself to use more because 
in the past i've not been able to use them successfully um mm. they've resulted in off-task behavior um i've not been able to, to design questions that i felt were effective um i just couldn't get the hang of them and again another whole school focus is for us is if we want to use mini whiteboards we want uh, my school wants to help us to learn and train and actually use them correctly so it's something I'm kind of challenging myself to use, but I, I have not been able to use them effectively yet. See, I, you know, I am a massive fan of mini whiteboards. And yeah. uh, as I say, I should say, you know, I'm primary based uh, predominantly. I was at least now, you know, I teach secondary now, but I was a primary teacher. And the, the thing that actually really revolutionized it for me is a lot of schools buy A4 whiteboards. And I don't call an A4 whiteboard a mini whiteboard. That's that's just a whiteboard. The one on the wall is, is a big whiteboard. Okay. Then you've got a whiteboard and then a mini whiteboard. And what I used to do, and he, here's a bit of advice, if you want to you know, drive some of your uh, admin staff who, who do the purchasing into fits, is as long as it's not one of the wooden whiteboards, you can stick them in a strimmer and, and, and you can strim them down to smaller. And so wow. I used to go for um, a, a third of an A4 uh, sheet, um, but, okay. but horizontally, so they'd be long. Right. So if you imagine, a, you know, in an English book about a paragraph about that size, you know, wow. so a third of a page. And so I'd strim them, trim the corners a little bit with a pair of classroom scissors so they were rounded and no one could get hurt. And that for me was a mini whiteboard that then could be kept more easily on the desk, could be held up more easily, all of those things. So I would say, you know, for anyone looking uh, to use mini whiteboards, think about how much writing you need to get on there. And if you can go smaller, go smaller. Definitely. That's my, my top tip. Well, I'm I'm envious of you because, like I said, it's something that I know could be really helpful and I am challenging myself and I am currently in the process of training myself up. So that's perhaps one for the for the future that I can reflect on yeah. in a few years. The other top tip that I think people forget is you can get whiteboards with the lines printed on or squares yeah. if you're a mathematician. And certainly that helps as well because otherwise the writing gets massive and, and all over the place. Um, and, and there's little bits like that that until you've seen it or seen someone else doing it, and that's where, you know, when you say about Twitter being such a good um, kind of place for, um, for for learning and sharing tips and tricks, you know, I, I think that was something I picked up from somewhere on there and someone was like, oh, yeah, mine have got lines on. I was like, what? You can have lines <laughs> on them? Yeah. This is this is amazing. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that, that really helped as well. Uh, right, that's enough about mini whiteboards. Let's, let's just uh, uh, pull on through. Um, now, there's a few here around uh, mini whiteboards, mini whiteboards certainly coming in. Um, visualizers, certainly plenty of. Um, but one of them that I'm interested about is questioning. And it comes out a couple of times, just in a, a couple of different ways. One of them from Danielle Teach Maths here, and, and one a little bit um, higher up the thread as well, around depth of questioning. And for me, I think this isn't a change in education. I think this is a change in like my confidence. But I, I think they're talking about going for depth, asking that second question, that follow-up question, um, those kind of things. How, you know, is questioning something that you've got better at? Is it something you focus on? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something I've got a lot better at. I think that the, the simplicity of answers that I looked for, because it's safer, you know, when again, mm. when you're a young, nervous teacher, 
you ask someone, you know, who's the main character in Christmas Carol? Scrooge. Fantastic. Well done. You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's not it is necessary information, but it's not sufficient. You know, it's it, that's not what they're asking you in an English literature exam. And I think it's a combination of experience, confidence that you can you what again, the students can surprise you. You can ask them something very, very difficult sometimes. And, and if you've built up an atmosphere of, of, of trust um, in a classroom, you can be absolutely amazed. You know, I, I have some students who um, have recently been saying some things about the uh, poetry we have to study at GCSE, and they're saying things that are blowing my mind. And I would never have thought that they would have said them. But because I asked some very challenging things, I don't even really give them much help. I just ask them. And because we've built up that trust, we've built up that um, ability to have a go, they'll come up with, with such incredible answers. Yeah, I think, you know, the question is a hard one because on the surface level, I do remember this always being a thing. Um, you know, when I was training, they talked about questioning and, and levels of, and depth of questioning and all of those things. And it was always there, but it wasn't something I got good at or got confident at until much later. And And I think you know I you know I don't I, I think it was with my curriculum knowledge and confidence as well that that came you know with my understanding of the schemes of work of where it all was going because when I changed phases or when I changed year groups or you know syllabus is changed um it took a dip again and so I really yeah. think that is just pure experience yeah I mean I think um Basically, when I when I came into the classroom, I think my subject knowledge was very good, but my confidence in front of a class, my 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 ability to kind of run a room, you know, I I struggled. I struggled with it, um, and I think that as my confidence in um, classroom management and in in being a presence has improved, I've been allowed to um, just revel in my subject knowledge better and and a big part of that like you say is if you know your subject knowledge really well you can pose questions really precisely and if you pose those questions precisely and then you also have an environment in which um, students can take risks and have a go at something it's it's fantastic the results it, it really it really is it's, it's a wonderful thing um now the next one that i want to talk about and this i think something that culturally has changed in teaching uh, as well is uh, this is from history tastic on twitter who said uh we talked about whole class feedback uh rather than sort of marking books or waiting to mark books at, you know at the end of the week or or any of those things but using whole class feedback now I, I, do you use whole class feedback at the moment as opposed to when it was when i started it was triple marking which was you mark then student responds then you mark again then student response again. Where are you kind of at with that at the moment? Yeah, so we've we've changed a lot. Um, you know, when I like you say, when I first started teaching, it was incredibly heavy. That it's very burdensome with marking, but that's what people felt was make would make the most impact. Whereas, you know, we've had a lot of uh, work going into what feedback what what feedback is actually the most effective, and um, we do a lot of um, trying to live mark in the lessons again, mark under the visualizer. Um, we've used different whole class strategies. Um, we've currently developed um, sort of department feedback sheets. It's like a whole class feedback sheet that we feel works for us. And it, it, again, it's 
it's better because um, it's not hours and hours and hours in front of books, mm. but the students still get the feedback that's going to help them move forward. Yeah, and you know this ties into you know the visualizer thing again for me. But one of the things that I found really improved, and you know when and and this was you know either in English maths, to be honest, in any subject that I was teaching at primary, and and the right environment in that that kind of safe environment that you've talked about already about where you know it is a safe learning environment where not only was I live marking, but I was able to with the students' kind of confidence and permission pull a couple of examples up on the board and help them edit and improve that but modeling editing the improving or modeling and making um you know explicit my marking process for the young people of what i was looking for as i went through so that they could use that before the end of the lesson and and yeah. so uh, they could make the improvements rather than waiting a day or a week to improve it you know i found that really changed me live marking i'm a massive fan of yeah um very briefly, just a quick story. Yeah. I, obviously, I obviously won't use his name, but I had a student some years ago in a, in a top set, and um, I had trained this set so well, this class so well on on my marking on the marking criteria, etc. He used to other students used to come to him, go to him with their grade, and he used to be their lawyer. He used to look at their work and come to me and very respectfully say, "Sir, I'm just going to have to dispute the mark." you've given here and may i just pre present the evidence in this person's piece of work um and sometimes i must admit he was right um but it was a good thing because the class and particularly him was so well versed in the, in the marking criteria and the success criteria by that point that they just knew the absolute ins and outs and the absolute minutiae of it and it was just quite funny seeing him approach my desk at the end of a lesson um <laughs> you know grasping his students work the little wry smile ready to challenge me um <laughs> over my uh, over my grade so it was it was it was all it was a really really helpful process and it's made things a lot more a lot more effective i think absolutely yeah you know but i think some of that's come from that you know we are now more explicit in what we're doing and and being clearly explicit with young people i think you know i i, I do enjoy some elements of discovery learning i think it's you know for me it's got a place in some elements of the um, curriculum but certainly when i started teaching it was there was almost we were right at the other end of the swing and we weren't yeah. telling young people what they had to do to be successful and then we were hoping that they would be successful and now we've certainly come the other way where we're quite explicit about what we're looking for how to do it how to achieve it how to get there yeah i mean it's so much better and there is still that i mean i think that a really nice example of discovery is in in secondary english is the unseen poetry um mm. you know they have to come to a poem and they have to figure it out and and it's lovely marking those really independent responses but in all other areas you know we're really explicit you know this is exactly what you need to do to succeed and they have a go and it's not obviously not perfect you you take it in you you have a look and give them feedback and the whole process starts again and it it's just so much more enjoyable for the students just not shooting blind they know exactly what they're aiming for and it it definitely improves their learning absolutely 
Um, now, we, you know, there are plenty more. I should say, you know, if if we haven't read out yours, I, I apologise. You know, find us at TT Radio Official or find, it was one of my tweets, but we retweeted it from the main account. You can find me at Lesson Copy. You'll find all of the comments there. Join in the conversation um, and, and, and let, you know, let me know what you think about those things. We're going to pop to the news. And, and when we come back, we are, you know, I want to talk about edgy fads. We're almost taking it. We've done the positive. I want to hear the, the bits we got rid of, hopefully, that <laughs> yes. made things better, if that's okay with you, Dan. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I'm so we're going to be rude and nasty. Yeah, the other side, <laughs> we're going to be dismissive of the things that we used to do when we were young teachers. All right, we'll of see course. you all on the other side of the news. Great. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Schools Week reports the government is set to offer overseas teachers who come to England to teach languages or physics a £10,000 relocation premium under a new trial. The premium would be open to both trainee and established teachers working outside of the UK and would be paid at the end of their first term. Under the plan, there would be no need for the money to be paid back. The Department for Education said the trial could support up to 400 people to relocate, with the full cost adding up to £4 million. According to recent data, secondary school teacher recruitment targets have been missed for all but one of the past 10 years and last year they fell short by 40%. The pilot for this new programme will run in the next academic year. In strike action news, industrial action has been suspended by NEU members in Wales. The action is halted whilst a new pay offer is considered. In a statement reported on a range of media platforms, NEU leaders in Wales said that following discussions with the Welsh Government, a new revised and fully funded pay offer will be put to members. The planned strike for the 15th and 16th of March will now not take place, although these dates remain for action in England and will continue to go ahead as planned. The revised offer for those teaching in Wales is said to be worth a total of 11.8%. The offer will be voted on by members of the NEU in Wales via electronic ballot. NEU leaders Dr Mary Bowstead and Kevin Courtney thanked the Welsh Government for the constructive approach to finding a resolution and contrasted it with the behaviour of Gillian Keegan, England's Secretary of State for Education, who they said was preventing talks in England by refusing talking to ACAS. Teachers in Scotland, who are members of the EIS union, have also voted to accept their latest pay offer. This will see a 7% rack dated to April 2022, a further 5% next month, and another 2% in January. NESUWT members in Scotland have yet to vote on the offer. Student loans are back in the spotlight after changes to the system. Channel 4 reports that student loan repayments will rise for those in the next cohort of students in England, as the repayment threshold is to be dropped. The government has said this makes the loan system fairer for taxpayers and students, whilst education experts say it will make low to middle income graduates worse off. 
Current students will only make 9% repayments when they earn over £27,295 a year, or £2,274 a month, or £524 a week in the UK. However, if you're starting an undergrad course or qualify for an advanced learner loan on or after August the 1st, 2023, those students will pay 9% of their income over the lower threshold of £25,000 a year, 2,083 a month or 480 per week. Students on the new plan won't be expected to make payments until April 2026, but the length of repayment is also changing. Current students pay until the debt is cleared or for 30 years, but new students will pay until the debt is cleared or for 40 years. Full details of the changes plus comments on the impact many believe it will have can be found on Channel 4's website and all data has been subject to the outlet's fact-check system. Finally, a writer who wrote a book on the topic of online misogyny has given an interview to The Guardian. Laura Bates wrote Men Who Hate Women, The Extremism No One Is Talking About, and it was published in 2020. In the interview, she raises concerns about the widening gap between generations who have never known a world without the internet and those older generations struggling to understand and keep up. She talks in particular of the impact this is having on what she describes as the millions of girls who are realising the impossibility of escaping from harassment, revenge porn, deep fakes and the difficulties in navigating a world online. Bates sees the problem in its broadest form, not just an issue with influencers like Andrew Tate. In fact, she says she wasn't even aware of him until last year. This, she says, is worrying in itself as there is a danger that the well-intentioned coverage will only boost his profile and that if and when his influence wanes, many will think it is a case of problem solved, when actually the problems and attitudes that give rise to people like Tate will continue. Full details of the article can be found on the Guardian website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show with me Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. We've joined by Dan Smith. We've been talking about small changes we've made to our teaching for a bigger impact. You know, what has changed about your teaching over the years? What have you refined? And finally, in this part of the show now, we're moving on to some of our listener comments about you know, I've termed it edgy fads, but what have you given up completely? What has come and gone? So uh, welcome back, Dan. Hello. Good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, now, th- this bit does worry me because I, I do worry that, you know, in 10 years time, I'm going to be looking back at this point on my in my career and thinking that what I'm currently doing now was was ridiculous because I look <laughs> back on what I was doing 10 years ago and think yeah. some of it's ridiculous. Um yeah. 
so I, you know, I, with trepidation, I'm going to be making fun. And I should say in, you know, in all good humor, because I, I have done many of these things. I, I, you know, I don't think this is picking on people necessarily, uh, because oh, certainly, you know, th- this is how teaching was. And it will be interesting for uh, maybe some of our, our listeners um, who uh, are new uh, teachers to, to think if any of this has happened, hopefully it means we'll never come back again. Um, now, the one that I started off with, and I don't know if you if you're familiar with these, I don't know if they made it into sort of English departments, but they were loop cards. Do, do you know what I'm talking about when I say a loop card? I think vaguely. Is it is it little pieces of card with it attached to a key ring? Is that right? No, but I do remember those as well. That sounds right. far more useful. The ones I'm talking okay. about, essentially, they were dominoes. So I'm going to pitch this right. to you as a lesson idea. You know, give me your honest opinion. Uh, I've come okay. in as a consultant to to mm. your department, and as a way of uh, learning some facts about a text, maybe Macbeth. Um, we're going to talk about Macbeth, um, and. So what I've got here is a set of playing cards, essentially, that are a bit like dominoes. And I will have a start card. And on the back of that, or maybe on the side of it, it will say a question such as, uh, who is the main character in Macbeth? Now, another child, in fact, every child in the class will have a card with a question and an answer on. And they will leapfrog from one to the other, a bit like dominoes. So someone will have the card that says Macbeth on it. They they will call now and say, yep, I've got it it's Macbeth and and on the back they'll turn their card over and they'll say uh, their question will say something like who was Macbeth married to okay right and okay. I, and I'm showing my poor literary understanding here because obviously both of those are incredibly easy but how does that sound as a you know as a pedagogic strategy are you in um I'm have to graciously refuse i'm afraid okay i mean it doesn't it doesn't sound awful i mean i've heard of a lot of worse things um and perhaps i don't know um maybe it's some kind of like a quick fire thing i don't know maybe but but what if i said to you that you had to make them yourself no no way (laughs) (laughs) no way am i doing that if i if i if i could buy um a set of cards which had um, questions and answers, but different people had to match them across the room. Again, that wouldn't be awful, I don't think. But if I had to make them myself, that's that's awful. No, no, definitely not. No, you, you know the, the the key thing to this also is you have to collect and maintain them and yes. store them for next year, which might be easier in secondary. I admit, where you might teach sort of uh, maybe you've got three year nine sets that you might be lucky enough to teach all at the same time. But certainly in primary. You, that's one lesson once yeah of course and you, you know and it's you've so lost the di- card the, 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 the challenges are so different they're so different at primary and secondary I, I i couldn't do it just just as an aside hmm. <clears throat> i could never i could never do it um i'm i'm full of admiration for all primary school teachers i really am it's amazing uh- what they do Uh, okay well you know that is one of them so loop cards was one of the ones that came out and you know as i say maybe that was more down in primary certainly i had drawers full of them and i had made lots of them because at one point you didn't do it just across the class you might do it in little groups so you needed like 10 sets of loop cards (laughs) that you'd made in front of the telly at night workload nightmare organization nightmare you know because then at the end of the lesson 
not they never it's it's like any lesson where you've got little bits of paper that have been cut up and put in an envelope do you know those kind of lessons uh, yeah no i i well that, that that i can um empathize with i can recognize better because that is something and I, I don't want to kind of divert things too much but that is something i used to do that was a nightmare um lots of little bits of paper maybe um in an envelope and, and a different envelope for each group and they had to pull out an answer and or pull out a question little strips of paper that would get strewn on the floor or get lost and you had to count them back in and get they get torn or um written on um yeah so i think what i'm trying to say is i think i had things that were a similar level of trouble to loop mm. cards but never loop cards themselves it's cost benefit to me, yes. Do you know, like yes. a workload yes. cost benefit of yeah. how long it takes to produce that resource to, how, yeah. you know, how much learning I'm going to get out of it. 100%. I mean, you're right. I, I as a PGCE student and, and as an NQT, like you say, you'd spend ages and you say in front of the TV, um, cutting up bits of paper to put in an envelope to put into maybe six, put the children into six different groups. They might have the envelope might be conversation starters or debate starters. And they pull these little bits of paper out for the debate starters. And you just think, why not just have slides? Just have slides with, with debate questions on, you know, because of these little bits of paper. And sir, we don't have that question in our envelope. And it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, and you always lose, or or there's two of the same answer in one of the envelopes because yes. someone's messed it up, and you, yeah, yes. any I, I forgot about little bits of paper in envelopes, and I don't think anyone else has mentioned it, so I'm glad you brought that up. That is that is certainly now I I have another pitch to sell you. This this is possibly from an English background. I I'm certainly familiar with these being in primary. I don't know if they made it to to secondary. Now they were described by June underscore of as a, a adjective pyramids i know yes. them as vcop pyramids yes um a, a, a kind of cardboard pyramid that you had on the table uh, that there was a ranking of of adjectives or punctuation with like more and better is yes. that something that you do you remember having what do you think of those I've seen them in classrooms, um, but I do have a confession to make in, in that I um, did sort of create my own versions of those sort of things um, in terms of levels of better or worse things to do in your writing and your analysis. Um, I would display them on the screen instead of them being sort of physical cardboard yeah. um, things to get handed round. But I was, you know, I was actually um, praised for these at the time um but again they're just they're too reductive you know they, they they're saying they're ranking things one after the other and that's not actually true at all it's 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 you have to use a range of ideas you have to use a range of skills and also it's just so arbitrary it's not it's not um essentially it's not it's, you know and also i also think someone was saying that they're just not used you know, they're just not used by, by, by the students. No, because if the child knew those words, they would, would already be using them. And, and I would tell you, you know, this, this is my part for you, and which would probably, you know, infuriate you as, a, as an English teacher, is the, the idea of this. But we were doing it with um, connectives was one of the things, conjunctions, as we, as we, as we talk about them now, um, where there were better yeah. 
con- conjunctions than other ones. Yeah. And so at yeah. the top, there was like, and, but, and so maybe. And then, you know, by the time you got to the bottom, you know, we had although and however and hitherto and stuff yeah. like this. But with no explanation of actually the differences between them and how to use them. And so it'd be children's writing. They go, okay, well, I just need to use a higher one up the list. And so yeah. what I'm going to go for is um, I went to the shop hitherto buy <laughs> some chips, you yeah. know, and, and it just didn't make any sense whatsoever because you had no guidance around it, no structure to teach what they were doing. Yeah. And that, and, but interestingly that migrated um, in English literature essays, um, some students felt that the more complex word they used in an English literature essay, the better their mark would be when actually what would happen is it would completely lose the meaning of what they were trying to say. And bless them, they learned all of these words from a thesaurus and from various websites, and it would not work. It would not work. And we just, we just had to say to them, you know, just strip it back. What do you want to say? Tell me what you want to say. Let's work through it together, you know, because if you don't understand the precise meaning of what you're trying to say, it's going to it's going to lose something. You know, it, it really is. Yeah, we were really bad at prime in primary about 10 years ago, I'm afraid, for ranking words. Some words were better, you know, and one of those things that was really common for doing was um, like never say said. Right. We, we would never say said it's banned word you know there'd be a display above the board with a cross through it so all the children then were writing even when said would have been perfect because you were just trying to get through the speech really quickly he said yeah. she said um you know like uh announced belligerently you know yeah. and, and this kind of stuff like in their writing that, that was just destroying any kind of you know style or purpose to it because we told them that announced belligerently was way better than saying said in every situation oh don't i, I can't just put that at primary school teachers absolutely we were doing that in secondary school and then the irony is that you know for example one of my favorite uh, styles of prose um you know is that kind of hemingway kind of americana um very sort of simplistic but beautiful in its own way it kind of just builds and builds um and there's none of that <laughs> there's none of that kind of um thesaurus style what's the most complex word you can use so i was telling them on the one hand don't use said but then i was also saying well, i was also telling them that this style of writing is beautiful and it didn't have it mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. I think that that kind of up leveling, I think, did we call it up leveling? It was something like that. Le- oh, level up your writing. We used to yeah. come on, you know, I, you've done well there, but level it up. And what we meant was go find a thesaurus and just switch all the words for one you don't understand and, and probably doesn't work in that context. Um, the next one, and <laughs> no, this one um, is interesting. And the most extreme example of this. Um, and I'm going to call them scavenger hunt style lessons, which is what Donald Hale on Twitter called them. Um, he called it, if it said for a context lesson, um, it, you know, maybe in English, um, he, he, scavenger hunt style lessons. I'm branding it wider. Apparently there was someone, I'll have to find the comment, who said that they once hid the learning objective somewhere in the class and the kids had to find it. Wow. I'm calling it any lesson where you've got stuff hidden around the room and the kids are being active because you get big ticks for engagement on that. Back in the day on our lesson obs forms, tick, 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 engagement, all the kids are up and out their seats. 
Yeah. Uh, have you ever done a scavenger hunt style lesson? Does it work? Would you still do it now? Um, I have done things where students have to go around the room to try and find things. Um, I will say there's been times where it has, the students have learned something, but it's taken so much time, mm. taken so much time for, for to get through it. And again, like you say, it's about the cost benefit, you know, how much time would that have taken if we did just talk through it together as a class, as opposed to them being up and about. And of course, there has been times when it hasn't worked and um, we've wasted a whole lesson and it's just been kind of loud and noisy and active and the kids have loved it, but they haven't gathered and absorbed the information that I wanted them to learn. So, I mean, it, again, there may be other teachers there who have been able to make it work, but it's just, and I suppose I have made it work but I've not made it work effectively compared to the much more simple things that I do. Yeah. Now, the only time that I've kind of made it and, and, and I had reason for doing it and I was still doing it quite late on, but I'd given it up for most reasons was when it came to things like year six sats um, kind of practice, just drip, you know, we, we, we've just got to make this content interesting in some possible way. And so I'd spend my lunchtime sellotaping, answers around the, the school hall and then we'd take them down there because you know we, we've just got to get the it's drilling content at that point there's not a lot of learning going on it's repetition of stuff and I've just got to find a slightly different way to do it in and so I have used it in that context still um, but yeah it took my whole lunchtime sellotaping everything up around the sports hall um, yeah. and, and it was just to kind of get us through make it just a little bit more interesting I think you know maybe uh, I, it's not something that I would advise people certainly don't need to hide the learning objective there is no point to that whatsoever no, I've, 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 I have to say that's a new one that is a new one on me um, yeah um, I, I definitely I can say categorically you may want to use scavenger hunts but don't conceal the learning objective don't, don't do that no just hide just hide it oh i found it now it was tom mc 93 on twitter in my first week of teaching i got my class to search for the learning objective which was hidden in an envelope in the room somewhere so essentially right. an escape room style situation before you can get into the learning um yeah. now we do get onto a few other little bits uh verbal feedback given stamps or writing it in how do you feel about that yeah yeah i mean it's about trust isn't it i mean you know i'm, I'm very fortunate in that i have such a supportive head of department such a supportive department in the school and you know they trust that i am talking to the students in the lesson they, they trust that i'm giving them feedback and i'm talking to them about their work um and it's just um i mean i suppose maybe your own benefit maybe if you wanted to track who you've spoken to you would give a stamp but again i'd hate that to be a a requirement of a teacher that every time they spoke to a student in a lesson they'd have to put a stamp in a book i mean how soul destroying is that to that's the only way it can be recognized mm. is through a stamp i mean if, if it's for your own benefit maybe but i you know i'm not an obligation I am hopeful that this was like a very interim stage, but as we transitioned between triple marking and real heavy marking mode, 
to yes. um, hot, mar- uh, hot marking, live marking. Um, and there was this period in between where, as I say, you know, verbal feedback stamps, that kind of evidence was still there and people were trying to do, you know, verbal feedback and, and kind of do it live marking. But there was still a kind of hangover to, but we need, we, but we need something in the book. We need some yes. kind of mark. And so I'm, ho- I'm hopeful that that has now kind of waned and we are past it and everyone is now settled in this idea that, yeah, we really are talking to the kids. They are improving. You can see it in their work. Um, and hopefully that's enough now. So that is something that's, yeah, I don't know, hopefully has um, changed. Um, we have quite a few uh, people adamantly admitting that they um, they never fell for for any of these things. I find it hard to believe <laughs> that they, they never fell for any of them. Um, but one of the ones that comes up a lot is um, learning styles, which yeah. I'm trying to think to it in, in your training. So you would have been probably at your peak learning styles or maybe towards the end of learning styles when you trained to teach. Was that something that came up? Oh, no, peak learning styles, absolutely. Um, VAK, um, are you catering is there an element of your lesson um that caters to all visual auditory and kinesthetic learners you know have you catered to all types um absolutely and it, it, it i just can't believe it <laughs> thinking about it now i can't believe it i can't believe it i just i just you know have have they got up and moved around is it if it's a kinesthetic learner have you done a card sort have you um could they get up and write something on the board you know and, and again there's nothing wrong necessarily with, with asking your student to, to come up and write something but it was a requirement it's the idea that they're not going to learn unless they're moving around a lot that was a bit that always got me you know and, and it, it's extraordinary thinking about it now it really is extraordinary i know but we thought you know and i think this is the thing that worries me when i talk about where we're going to be in 10 years time is that I'm pretty sure at the time people told me that research or psychology or something had proved that this was a thing. The, the other one that I'm going to throw into you, and I don't know like whether you came across this, was kind of left brain, right brain, brain gym type things where you'd start a lesson yes. and you'd have to touch, like rub one shoulder, touching your head, or you'd have to kind of connect the sides of your brain. I don't know about connecting the sides of my brain. I... Definitely the idea of being left brain or right brains. Um, mm. Someone's going to struggle with this because they're more left brain. Someone's going to struggle with that because they're more right brains. Yeah. Um, in terms of brain gym, you need to kind of warm up someone's brain um, with a kind of zany question or a, a zany activity of some kind to get the brain warm, ready for learning. Um, <laughs> Don't. Is it, no. it, just you saying to me now to to get the brain warm ready for learning has just sent me into fits of giggles because at the time i would have been writing that down in my notebook like like that that makes perfect sense of course we've got to warm the brain yeah i mean we had whole lectures we had whole whole lectures on it you know i did my pgce in leeds um you know i had some fantastic tutors there and i had some really excellent training we did have some dodgy lectures as well. We had some dodgy lectures about things. And we, and even at the time, sometimes we thought, really, is that is that what we really need to do? You know, and, and we and we were very earnest and you know, we, we we believed in it and we did it. And 
but just the idea, like you say, warm up the brain, get the brain activated. This person's going to struggle with creative writing because they're more this side of the brain. This person's going to struggle with more with analysis because they're this side of the brain. Um, yeah, absolutely. It was it was all there, all in there. Okay. Well, you know, we are, well, sending me into fits of giggles about warming up brains and, and such like ready for learning, because I, I honestly cannot, like, I'm done with that now. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you about, you know, 10 years from now, or even now, are there things of, of your current practice that you're maybe easing out of, or you're starting to have reservations about, about what we're currently doing now? Um, as a teacher that you're thinking this either needs refining or I want to tweak it or I'm not quite happy with it it's a really difficult question you've stumped I've mm. stumped a little I've stumped a little bit with that I mean maybe unfortunately it's just going to be with the benefit of hindsight maybe mm. maybe I kind of just take it as a personal thing as a, as a mm. teacher person like I say the past year I've had to challenge myself I've had to say you know I'm not using cold calling enough um Again, many whiteboards is something you know I'm behind on. Um, perhaps, maybe, maybe, you know, to be controversial, maybe my kids are too static. Maybe my students are too static. Maybe actually, there will be more. I will see more moving around in the future. Um, in my defence, you know, whenever we teach, whenever we teach Shakespeare, we get the plastic swords out and do a bit of acting. You know, and so that's something I'll. I'll say in my defense but it's a it's a funny thing it's like you say it's a pendulum it, it swings it swings back and forth um and perhaps there'll be more of that group work interaction coming back in and i you know and i i think you're right there you know that pendulum does swing back and forth and i think for me the bit that i always worry about and a lot of these negative things you know we've talked about and you've been very good at kind of mitigating that by talking you know about if we know why we're doing it, as long as it hasn't been enforced from higher up without us knowing. And I think that was my problem with a lot of these things. You know, I, I think we're a lot clearer as a profession now that leaders need to explain the purpose behind stuff. We don't get that kind of, what do they call it, where it um, inches over time. There's, there's a word, lethal mutation yes, yes. of ideas, you know, as they move through. We don't get so much that anymore because we're a lot more um democratic about the knowledge being shared uh, and i think that's going to help us not fall for some of this stuff anymore and not being forced to do it anymore yeah i think lethal mutation is the is the biggest thing in terms of things going wrong and i think that the biggest problem was that actually by the time it got to the classroom teacher sometimes it had lethally mutated already i think mm. it had passed through different hands and it didn't resemble what it should and then, like you say, because we didn't understand it pedagogically, it then further mutated in our own hands. And and mm. now we try and we share and we think about what's the justification for what we do. And it's like I say, it's very it's very empowering that I I can read and think and implement things in a much more informed way. In the past five years, I'd say particularly fantastic and what a lovely note to end on there as well we have come to the end of the show you know thank you so much for coming on if people want to reach out and find you how, how do they do that are you on twitter yeah so i'm uh teach underscore smith 
Um, so teach underscore Smith. And I just want to say um, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been fantastic. Um, and I've really, really enjoyed it. So thank you. No, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You know, as I say, you know, we, we've gone through some, hopefully some really useful tips for people there. But in, you know, I will say in an honestly earnest way, no one should feel bad about their teaching because, you know, we are all on a journey of improvement. Yeah, I mean, gosh, like I said, you know, I've, I'm a lot better than what I was. But these past 12 months has challenged me to take a big step forward again. Absolutely. Um, so from here in South Wales, we do say uh, it's Nostar in Welsh. So I will say uh, Nostar to you, Dan. That's good night. Nostar. Thank you. Nostar. Yeah. And uh, we will see you all next time. If you're listening live, jump onto Twitter spaces. We've got education tonight panel chat about the latest news in education you can join there live in twitter spaces uh, we'll see you next time here on teachers good radio uh, teachers talk radio uh, good night and nostar thank you you've been listening to teachers talk radio tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org we look forward to hearing from you next time on teachers talk radio